0: Thank you for coming to the Amber shows. Um, this is a reading continued reading of a piece of cake by cupcake Brown uh, It's Brown's confessional memoir and it's one that you will not easily forget. Uh, her life is nothing short of a miracle. I haven't I've been reading as of lately but I'm back. And uh, just to give you a little recap, Cupcake has got her own apartment. She's got a boyfriend. Uh, She's still heavily involved in drugs, but he has convinced her to work, stop cursing. And uh, so she's been working. She's managing to work uh, late shifts to morning shifts because she's using drugs. Um, But her boyfriend has convinced her that uh, at least they can afford drugs if she's working. If they're working. So that's a quick recap. Uh, she's just now uh, in the bathroom at her job because she had gotten some bad drugs, uh, bad cocaine, and um, her nose is running. And she doesn't want her coworker, who works with her, um, to realize that she's doing some type of drugs. But she's going to be surprised to find out the coworker does drugs herself. So, quick recap, Uh, I may have read part of this uh, in the past, and those of you who want to know uh, and listen to my book, A Piece of Cake, you can look on the roster uh, at Spotify, uh, Anchor, FM, uh, Apple, or Google Podcasts, and start from the beginning. Just scroll down and look at the titles, and you can start from the beginning. So, here we go. I was actually enjoying working. It didn't interfere with my partying, especially since I was at work. I stayed high on coke, meth, black beauties, or other uppers, which provided me with extraordinary energy. That is, when it was good shit. Every so often, I cop a bad batch, which is what happened one night shortly after I'd started working. The blow was so bad it wasn't keeping me up or giving me energy. In fact, the only indication I'd snorted anything was the fact that it caused my nose to run nonstop. I walked around constantly, sniffling and wiping my nose. You got a cold, my coworker, Sandra asked gruffly. We were in the bathroom. She was coming out of one of the stalls. I was standing over the sink, blowing my nose, trying to get it to dry up. She wasn't trying to be gruff. It's just that she was huffing and puffing from the effort of trying to force her fat ass back into her skinny, tight pants that were two sizes too small. Any other time she might would have been comical, but with snot flowing out of my nose like Niagara Falls, I didn't have time to take pleasure in it. I was too preoccupied with my nose that her question caught me off guard. What? I asked, irritated and she'd interrupted my concentration with trying to stuff a large piece of twisted tissue up my nose. I said, ''Do you have a cold?'' she repeated. She'd successfully forced her zipper closed, but her stomach poured out over the top of her pants. Looking at it, it reminded me of how beer foams once over the top of the glass that's been poured too full. She stood there trying to hold her breath in in an effort to relieve some pressure. "'Ah, uh, yeah,' I replied, unsure of how to respond. "'Girl, stop lying,' she snapped suddenly. "'Her direct and firm tone startled me. "'She seemed to have forgotten about her bulging stomach "'and was now focused on my nose. "'Her eyes grew wide as I realized "'she may be a little more hip than I had originally thought. "'Play a cool, girl,' I told myself. "'Act stupid, just act stupid.' "'What do you mean?' I asked as I fluttered my eyes "'and spoke in the most innocent, naive voice I could muster. Oh, girl, come on. Everybody gets high off something. Why do you think we run out of miles a mile a minute around here and type like Flash Gordon? Me, myself, I like blow. It looks like you do too much, though. It it always looked like you got punked or or, or it's your last batch. I wasn't sure how to deal with her comments. My mind began to race. Was it up? Was she set up? set me up by management and she's trying to see if they could get me and uh, to confess that I did drugs so that they could fire me or maybe it was a set up by Andrea on behalf of management. Hell, come to think of it, who the fuck was management? An- Andrea was the only authority person in the company that I had ever met. I decided I would admit to shit. I was not going to admit to shit. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. I said loud and slow as I looked around the bathroom for the hidden camera. No, no drugs here. I'd never do anything like that. I said even louder as I walked around checking under stalls, toilets, and sinks for a hidden microphone. I wanted to make sure they could hear me. Girl, relax, Sandra said as she began laughing. This ain't no setup, okay? Nobody put me up to this. I've been snorting long enough to know a bad drip when I see one. I stood there silent, eyes wide, mind racing. What the fuck to do? What the fuck to do? Look, try some of this, she said, pulling small brown glass bottle from her large watermelon breast. I instantly knew what it was. I sometimes used those little bottles myself. They were used for carrying blow or meth. When she, when the lid was unscrewed, it had tiny a tiny spoon attached to it. By a short, thin silver chain. The chain was to prevent the spoon from getting misplaced. The spoon came in handy for snorters who had no fingernails, which to hold the blow. Sandra unscrewed the lid, grabbed the thin chain, and dipped the spoon into the bottle, making sure the spoon was overflowing with the shiny white stuff substance. She held it up to the left side of her nose, and holding the right side, closed with a finger. She snorted. As she inhaled the white powder, it vanished up her nose so fast that if I had blinked, it would have seemed to magically disappear. There was no doubt in my mind. Sandra was a blow pro. Now that's some good shit, she explained, as she held back her head, reached up and pinched her nose to keep any powder from spilling out. She closed her eyes and enjoyed the head rush. After a moment, she handed the bottle and tiny spoon to me. Here, you need some real stuff to keep you awake now that instead of that fake-ass shit you got. Now that she'd done some blow herself, I was feeling more comfortable about the whole situation not being a setup. Besides, the white stuff in that little brown bottle looked good. It smelled good. It was calling my name. I decided it was safe. I quickly snorted a heaping spoonful. She was right. It was good. And I instantly felt the dope rushing to my brain and my ears began to ring and my eyes began to wander. Water. Damn, girl, I yelled because my ears were still ringing. Sounds were muffled, causing me to speak louder than I realized. She began laughing again. Yep. She said as she laughed at my reaction, told you you needed some real shit. Sandra and I stayed in the bathroom and continued to bond for a while longer. We took a couple more hits as she hipped me to who on the shift and who was what. She said that Andrea smoked weed, but her main thing was pills, uppers, mostly because mostly black beauties and yellow jackets. Tina looked too too horse. Sandra said that the, during one of her, her and Tina's bathroom bonding sessions, Tina told her that as long as she didn't have, didn't slam heroin into her veins, it wasn't addictive. Never mind the fact that she spends every fucking dime on this shit. Sandra stared, obviously annoyed, in Tina's misguided conceptions. She's convinced herself that tooting is harmless. Sandra shook her head in disgust, as if the blow were we were tooting weren't. I didn't understand Sandra's disgust, but I did understand Tina's react reasoning. In fact, I agreed with it. Sandra continued informing me on what and who did what. She said that she herself did anything that was free. A woman after my own heart. However, when spending her own money, she preferred coke. She kept talking, but I began to ignore her and go into my own little head trip and enjoy my high. The main Message I got from her chatter was that everyone on the third shift got high off of something. Finally, she shut her mouth for a moment. She sat on the sink, held her head back, and enjoyed her high. Girl, we better get back, I said a few minutes later. We've been in here, I mean, we've been in here for quite a while now. Sandra's eyes flew open. Oh, yes, girl, we gotta get back. She looked down at her watch and screamed. Oh, shit. We've been on this break more than 30 minutes. We jumped up and began preparing to return to our station, straightening our clothes. I don't know why tweakers do this, but for some reason we always felt the need to straighten our clothes before re-entering the world and checking ourselves out in the mirror to make sure there was no white residue on our noses. Now, look, Sandra started stated, checking out her and herself in the mirror while running her hands over her large butt in an effort to smooth her skin-tight pants. Why she felt the need to smooth down the material, I could never figure it out. It was already stretched so tight. There wasn't a space for a wrinkle. This shit, this shit ain't any big secret, but look at us. We snorting like elephants in the middle of this room. What the fuck does that mean? I asked. What I'm saying is, although we all know we get high, we don't really talk about it. The only thing we talk about openly is drinking and partying at the clubs. Anything else, we just let each other be. Nobody asks questions and nobody gets sweated. You got it? I laughed to myself at Sandra's use of the word sweat. It was one of the slang words I taught the crew. To sweat someone meant to bother, question, pester, harass, etc. Now she was using it as an everyday word. They were learning slang almost as well as I was learning proper speech. Yeah, I got it, I replied. And I did. In fact, I wholeheartedly agreed with that little philosophy. Don't fuck with them about their using and they won't fuck with me about mine. Damn, I love the fucking world of this working place. So that's how it went. I went to work loaded on uppers but never drank i knew if i got drunk i'd show up and cuss everybody out so i never went drunk only loaded though never loaded on basin i immediately realized that once i started basing i couldn't stop till all the dope or money whichever ran out first was gone so i vowed to freebase only on the weekends but i wasn't the only responsible one everyone on the shift also pretty much shunned alcohol during work hours and only came high or got high shortly after their arrival. Everyone, that is, except for Sandra, who had no shame in taking a couple sips during lunch. Oftentimes, throughout the shift, two or three of us would meet in the bathroom and bond. Other times, I went in and bonded by myself. At first, my typing was horrible, though it was fast. It was full of mistakes. But as time went on, Andrea was right. My speed and accuracy increased. Typing is the perfect activity to do when speeding because it requires fast, quick movement of the hands. Tweaking on the typewriter soon became one of my favorite things to do, which made the job even more enjoyable. There were several unexpected benefits that came from working. First, just as Tommy had said, every payday provided a guaranteed high from at least one of my two favorite drugs, basin or heroin. In between paydays, I did what I had to do to make little money, which usually meant selling a little dope, shoplifting, driving the getaway car for the homie, doing a burglary, burglary, or letting a homie stash goods at my place for a fee, of course. These activities together with the stash supplied by the numerous partiers who were always hanging at my house was enough to provide a regular source of a less expensive drug, meth, pill, acid, dust, weed, and booze. Working also made me feel better about the illegal shit I was doing. I mean, hell, it wasn't like I was a thug or a bum. I had a job, damn it. Everything was going good at my job. Sometimes I had to miss work because of hangovers or extreme fatigue every now and then. Staying up for days at a time would catch up with me. However, this didn't cause me to suffer any negative repercussions because the girls in the third shift had a secret arrangement every now and then when someone couldn't work or make it to work or had to leave sick the others would sign her time card and cover for her we all knew that sometimes partying got a little out of hand so when it did we covered for each other this allowed the sick girl to miss work and recover without having to worry about using up sick leave or a vacation pay we didn't have to worry about andrea finding out she often took advantage of the arrangement herself I loved my job. Tommy and I continued to work different shifts, but we made time. We did have together. We did have together count. We got high. To allow us even more time together, Tommy left his dumpy hotel room and moved into my dilapidated shack. Even though we both were working steadily, we were getting high steadily. As a result, we were 2 months behind in the rent. When Kelly lived with me I'd at least pay attention of the rent, but I soon quit paying any of the rent. The landlord fed up with my never-ending excuses and lies as to why I didn't have his rent money started his eviction proceedings. We needed a place to go and fast. One Saturday we sat around getting high. Nancy, one of our partiers, proudly announced that her Section 8 application had finally come through. She was ecstatic because that, what she meant was that the government was going to pay $300 on her, of her $350 rent. Still, the girl had the nerve to complain about having to pay the, uh, the other $50. Tommy and I looked at each other. We didn't have to speak. We knew each other and what we were thinking. It didn't take long to figure out how much get high money we would have if we only had to pay $50 a month rent. I immediately told Nancy that we would be her roommates for $50 a month. Hell yeah, she screamed, happy that she wouldn't have to pay any rent. At all. Nancy moved into a small two-bedroom, one-bath apartment. Tommy and I lived in one of the bedrooms. Nancy and her three children lived in the other. The cramped living space didn't bother the adults. Tommy and I worked different shifts, so I only So, only two adults, none of us and Nancy, one of us and Nancy, we were home at the same time during the week. The children were all school age, so they were in school during the day when Tommy was at work, and in bed at night while I was at work. So, the only time all six of us were home simultaneously was on the weekends, which is what we called, really, party time, with at least ten other partiers. The adults were always too loaded to care to notice the tight living quarters. If sharing a room with their mom, that constant presence of drugs and alcohol, or the regular parties bothered Nancy's children, they knew better than to say anything. Nancy ruled with an iron hand. She, like me, had no patience, no tolerance, and couldn't stand noise. Not the greatest characteristic for a parent. So her children learned at an early age not to be seen or heard when their mom was partying they were never physically abused though i wouldn't have stood for that one thing i wouldn't tolerate was beating a kid spanking them were all right i'd gotten spankings many times as by my mother i'd been beaten i'd been beaten many times by diane the foster mother i knew the difference as far as i was concerned drugs alcohol and partying around kids was okay, long as no one was beating them. One day, after a wild night of partying, I awoke Nancy frying chicken. As she as the hideous smell streamed into my bedroom, my eyes flew wide open. I stared, sweating I started sweating profusely and my stomach started flip flopping like a fish out of water. I threw the covers back, jumped out of bed and sprinted to the toilet at the all the while placing my hand over my mouth in hopes it would keep the vomit down till I got there. What's the matter with you, Tommy asked as he got up and followed me to get with his, you got a hangover? Yeah, I screamed as I struck my head into the toilet to allow the previous night's alcohol, food, and dope to gush out. After two or three times of violent heaves, the gushing stopped. I plopped down on the floor and laid my head on the rim of the toilet. The cool porcelain felt good on my feverish skin, but the queasiness was returning. I had to get out of the house. I just couldn't stand the smell. I ran out the front door, panties and all. What the hell's the matter with her, Nancy asked as I flew by with one hand over my mouth and the other over my stomach. She's sick, Tommy replied, opening the refrigerator, grabbing a beer. I done told her about mixing drinks. Nancy stated annoyingly as she wildly waved the fork she was using to turn the chicken. Crazy Heffa had rum, vodka, gin, beer, wine, tequila. No wonder she's sick. It was true. I had mixed quite a bit of liquor the night before, but I knew it wasn't the booze. At least not this time. I had some birth control pills, but as usual, I'd forgotten to take them. I stayed on the porch until Nancy finished cooking the chicken. I used the time to try to remember the last time I'd taken a pill. I wasn't sure if I'd been three or four or five days. Hell, I didn't even know where they were. Fuck, if I told myself even you did know where they were, they ain't gonna do you no damn good now. The rumbling in my stomach advising me of hunger interrupted my thoughts. I decided to ignore my little problem for the time being. I was inside and had some Nancy's fried chicken. It was delicious. I could eat fried chicken. I just couldn't be around when it was being cooked. Everyone was grubbing on fried chicken. The children were sitting in the living room glued to the TV cartoons as they ate. The adults sat around the kitchen table discussing the important topics of which partier had committed to bringing which party favors to the night's festivities while i had been outside tommy and victor had called and said he'd scored some bomb blow which he'd be bringing over that night i figured this was a good time as any to make my announcement i'm pregnant tommy and nancy grew instantly silent the only noise audible was the sound of the road runners beep beep the children were never turned from the television. I guess to them, my proclamation wasn't as interesting as watching Roadrunner beat the hell out of Wally E. Coyote. Pregnant, Tommy exclaimed. He had a look of sheer terror on his face, as if someone told him he'd be dead in 48 hours. Pregnant, Nancy replied. The look on her face was one of surprise. Not terror. What the fuck is the matter with you ears, I yelled. Yes, pregnant. You know it I was pissed. When I got pissed anything proper went out the window. Again the room fell silent. Wiley E Coyote was laughing out loud as he realized he now had Roadrunner where he wanted him. What you gonna do? Nancy asked. Tommy looked at me as if he were wondering if if he were wondering the same thing. I was waiting to hear the familiar splat that always follows when Wiley Coyote traps the roadrunner backfires at the last moment. I'm gonna do what I always do, I'm gonna get rid of it. You mean like an abortion? she asked. What the fuck else could I mean? I snapped. Boom, splat. The kids cracked up laughing and confirming the roadrunner had again gotten the best of Wiley Coyote. Girl, don't you know what don't you know what the kid is worth? I looked at her in total confusion. What the fuck are you talking about? I had the idea. I had no idea what she meant. Girl, welfare. You can get money for that baby. Money for a baby? I never thought about that. Girl, why you think I got all these kids? I get a fat check, and Uncle Sam pays my rent. I get food stamps, free medical, and I don't have to move. She busted out laughing. I don't have to move my fat ass. She was very proud of that and her benefits. Child, she continued while gnawing on a chicken leg. You better get with the game because she had food in her mouth. As she finished her sentence, she spit fried chicken all over the place. Cup, Tommy had finally regrouped himself enough to speak. It's not worth it. Think about it. By working, you get more money in two weeks than a bitch on welfare gets in a month. Who are you calling a bitch, Nancy snapped. Ignoring her, he continued talking quickly as he laid out the facts. Think about it. You are in a position, you're in no position to have children. You can't stand noise. Children cry all the time. You have no patience. Think about how other people's kids get on your nerves now. You barely feed yourself. How are you going to feed a child? Do you really want the responsibility of taking care of someone else all the time? Tommy was right. I hated cooking, I hated cleaning, I hated noise, I hated kids. Realizing the fact that he was actually going through was seriously had me considering his comments. He continued talking faster. You hate people in your business. You hate having to answer to others. If you keep the baby and go on welfare, Uncle Sam will, will own you. He will tell you what you can do and cannot do, what you can do, how you can do it, how long to do it. You can only do certain things, and you can't have a bank account. Shit, is that true? Huh. I never had that much money in the fucking pl- in the fucking place anyway. I laughed to myself. It was true. Though I did have a bank account, I only got it because the check cashing store charged too much to cash my paychecks. There was never any money in it. Nevertheless, no money in the bank was the least of my problems. I had turned a few tricks here and there when money was low and my need for dope was high. I wasn't sure if the baby I was carrying was even Tommy's though. Actually, I didn't know whose it was. What if I kept it and it wasn't yours, Tommy? Well, I was having the intimate conversation with myself. Tommy went on with his argument. And Uncle Sam... It's nosy as hell. They got all your business asking thousands of questions regularly. I quickly raised my eyebrows and my eyes grew big. The mention of being questioned. I hated being questioned. I felt like the system had never asked asked any questions about the abuse that I had. And I was getting raped, molested, beaten, mistreated, shifted from home to home. No one ever said a fucking thing. No one ever asked me why I ran. They simply labeled me hard, a hard placement because I ran. And now the bastards wanted to ask questions? Fuck that! Nigga Nancy interjected. You just don't want to have to take care of no babies. This ain't about Uncle Sam controlling her or about her not wanting a baby. This is about you controlling her and wanting a, and wanting, and not wanting a baby. Cup, don't listen to him. Her eyes seem to be pleading with me. He's got his own selfish motives. He's thinking of himself just like a nigga. No longer pleading her eyes, now glowing with pure rage. Regardless of his motives, Tommy had hit a nerve with me. No fucking body was gonna tell me what I could do and what I could not do. I hated authority, especially the system, which to me on the same was on the same team as the government. Fuck welfare. Nancy, it ain't worth it. The little hundred dollars you get a month ain't worth it. The little bastard's gone next week. The cool tone of my voice told Nancy I was serious. She dropped the subject. Five days later, I went back to the same clinic I'd gone to before. If any of the nurses remembered me, they didn't show it. And if the nurse that prepped me was the same one I'd had previously. I was too high to know it. Besides, I didn't care who took the baby out as long as it got out. This time, the abortion wrecked more havoc on my body. I cramped, ached, and bled for days. Unlike the previous abortions I'd had, I wasn't able to just jump up and party. I was ill and bedridden for five days, and I was forced to call in sick on the fourth day that I called. Sandra asked me, that someone had told her that I was high. Everyone, including Andrea, was scared and nervous. She said that as a result, one arrangement couldn't be used. I used to take all the days of sick leave. I was so sick, I didn't care. I wasn't too sick to get high though. I just did it in bed. I made the cramps feel, it made the cramps feel better. At least it made me not give a damn that I was cramping. It also made me not give a damn at what I'd done. But there was another reason why I was able to relieve any guilt. Years before in Lancaster, when Connie and the girls had beaten the baby out of me, I swore that would be the last baby I'd ever keep or love. Bringing up the anger and resentment of the baby being killed somehow allowed me to feel okay about killing this one and the ones before, and if need to be, the others after it. After about a week, I was back up and ready to go. When I returned to work, though, things had changed drastically. Andrea had been fired when I asked why. The girls mumbled that they'd been told something about her as not being a capable supervisor and manager. How can that be, I said. I screamed when Sandra told me the news. She was great. Before Sandra could reply, a tall white man entered the word processing room. He was dressed in a very nice black suit. He looked like a mortician to me. He was dressed in all black and he had a solemn, a solemn face. The girls all jumped to attention and started frantically pecking at their keyboards as if they were working. They were obviously scared of him. I wondered why. What the fuck? "'Who the fuck is this dude?' I asked myself. "'No one ever came into the word-processing room during the third shift, "'and I'd never seen anyone give the girls such a strong and sudden desire to work.' "'The man introduced himself as Mr. Colleen. "'He pulled me aside to the same small station I had sat at "'during my interview with Andrea almost six months before.' Speaking quietly so that only he and I could be heard, he said he was the vice president of some department. I didn't catch which department because I was too busy staring at his suit. It was very, very, very nice. As I stared at it, I wondered if it was one of those Italian suits. I'd heard about them. Sometimes as we sat around getting high, the other parties and I would play the when I When I get myself together game. That's when we daydream and swear to what we were going to do with our tomorrows, and we stopped spending all of our money on dope. I specifically remember one of them, Spook, declared on several occasions, When I get rich, I'm going to buy me an Italian suit in every color. Though he was always talking about one, I'd never actually seen one. But as I sat there staring at this fine fabric, exquisite design, and precise stitching, I was sure that's what Mr. Collum was wearing. Mr. Collum droned on and on. When I made myself come back to the present conversation, I was saying something about cleaning up and a reduction in force. I chose to ignore his chattering and return my focus on, my, on his gorgeous suit. I wondered what he'd do if I reached out and touched it. I tried to imagine what the beautiful fabric felt like. If it felt good or as it looked. I was almost drawn to it. I was craving up close and personal contact with his suit. Girl, you tripping, I scolded myself. I had done a couple of lines before coming to work. I figured that's why I had a sudden fascination with Colum's suit. My mind quickly cleared up and raced back to the immediate conversation when Mr. Cullen informed me that I was fired. He said it so calmly and nonchalantly, I thought I'd heard him wrong. What? I asked In complete and total surprise, you're fired. He he repeated just as calmly as he said the first time. I've been going over your file. You you miss a lot of work. You're late almost daily, and your work is beneath substandard. How the fuck did he know when I was late, I asked myself. I wasn't angry about the fact that he made the statement about my regular tardiness. I mean, hell, it was true. What pissed me off is that He knew the girls weren't supposed to be covering for me. That wasn't the only question that was rushing through my mind, though. What the fuck is substandard, and how did I get beneath it? My eyes quickly darted back and forth as my mind continued to race nervously with unanswered questions still using the same calm voice he explained that andrea had been fired however before leaving she'd snitched on the rest of us about everything as a result he said that everyone on the third shift was being let go he reached inside his coat pocket pulled out an envelope and handed it to me as i looked at it confused he explained the envelope contained a check they were giving me two weeks severance pay as well as unused vacation and sick leave. He said the company had decided to give me the benefit of the doubt and pay me for all of the vacation and sick leave. I had supposedly accumulated according to the books, even though they had gone back through each girl's records with Andrea and figured out how much sick leave or vacation we'd really have if it were legal arrangements. Mr. Collins said that if they had used Andrea's configuration, I would have no sick leave or vacation. And in fact, no money at all. And it briefly occurred to me that as the only black girl, I was the only one being let go immediately. And it momentarily crossed my mind as to ask why. And to ask about the other girls, like as if. When, when were they leaving, and how much severance pay would they get? But my mind didn't allow me to focus on, that, on those issues. If it wasn't concerning me, I had my check in my hand, so that's all I was concerned about. My mind was more focused on wondering just how much money the check was for, and how much coke, heroin, dust, boo, and booze I would get i felt like since my regular payday was still a week away it was extra money i'd failed to realize the only money i'd be getting for a while the more i thought about getting high the faster i wanted out of that place i jumped up as mr Collin was saying something about being willing to give me a good reference okay thanks i responded as i grabbed my jacket and bolted for the door as i reached the door i turned and looked around and the word processing department for the last time. The girls and Mr. Cullen were looking at me in a, in a complete surprise. Andrea's station was still empty, and for the first time I noticed, two other stations were empty. Oh well, not my problem. See ya, I yelled as I slipped out the door. I never saw anyone from that, ride, that title company again. That night as I la- loaded the partiers began to tease me, about getting fired. I know your ass was going to get fired. I knew you was going to lose your damn job, my partiers were saying to me, (laughs) laughing. And to get fired? That's embarrassing, someone else said, putting great emphasis on the last word. Girl, that's not like, that's like dry. That's like they telling you Get the fuck out, another chimed in. Yes, yeah, said another, you've done better not working at all because at least then you wouldn't have been thrown out. They all laughed. As I tooted another line and took another swig of Thunderbird, I swore to myself that that would be the last time I'd ever get fired. I told myself that from then on, before getting fired, I'm going to quit. What you going to do now, someone else asked, interrupting my thoughts. I'm going to get another job, I replied indignantly. Girl, ain't nobody going to hire you. You've been fired. Everyone cracked up again. Oh, they'll hire me all right, I snapped. Someone's going to hire me. Well, I like your balls, one of them said. Yeah, bitch. Just won't quit, another responded, and I wouldn't. Having a job was very important to me. As long as I had a job, I figured I didn't know how much I drank or used or partied. I loved the special status. I also, I also, I got among drunks. I started, stopped drinking during the day or night whenever I have to work. And druggies, simply from that fact, I noticed that I managed to get something few of them never could get a job. I had to get this other job. Tommy warned that although the title company said they'd give me a good reference, I needed to hurry up and find another job before they changed their mind and told prospective employers the truth. I figured since Tommy had had numerous jobs, he would know. So taking his advice, I didn't waste any time. I donned my mini skirts, my halter tops, my five-inch stilettos, and hit the pavement. This cup is just too much. It's just too much. I'm gonna give you one little snippet of what's next. I found another job a couple of weeks later. It was in the word processing department of another title company. Although the supervisor, Deborah, was a little taken aback by my attire, she was impressed by the fact that I'd previously worked at a title company. She commented that she'd lost three processors suddenly and unexpectedly and urgently needed someone who was experienced in typing titled documents. However, when I asked to be put on the third shift, she told me that she only had one shift, the day shift, and that if I wanted the job, that would be the one I'd be working. Desperately needing work processors, she hired me. Desperately needing a job, I took it. Well, I'm gonna have to read more often so that we can keep up with Cup and see what her final outcome of her life will be. She was orphaned by the death of her mother and left in the hands of a sadistic foster parent. Young Cupcake learned to survive by turning tricks, downing hard liquor, and ingesting every drug that she could. So, come back to the Amber Shows. Check out my roster of when the Amber Shows is reading A Piece of Cake by Cupcake Brown. Thank you, everybody. Have a good night.